The following audio is from Missio Day Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Missio Day or to partner with us on mission, visit mdcavl.org. Morning, church. How are we? Wow. Okay. That good, huh? Uh... I guess I'll try to be quick. Um, <laughs> that's not going to happen. Uh, my name's Brian. If you're new here, uh, I'm the lead pastor, teaching pastor here, and uh, really thankful that you would take time out of your uh, Sunday to be with us. Uh, I would love to know you, so uh, if we get a chance after the gathering, I'll be kind of out towards those back doors there and would love to just shake your hand and know who you are. But if you would like to make yourself known before that, uh, you can fill out the Connect card. That's a little card that's in the seat back in front of you, and it just... Uh, Fill out your name and email, whatever it asks for there. There's some black boxes in the back of the room that you can place that in on your way out. And uh, we'd love to be able to follow up with you, pray for you, all that kind of stuff. Good to see more and more familiar faces coming back week by week as well. And uh, really encouraged by that. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to the book of Acts chapter 6. We've been studying the book of Acts for a while. Um, Has it been a blessing? Have you liked the book of Acts so far? Yeah, all right, awesome. We're about to stop. (laughs) Uh, Next week will be our last time in the book of Acts for about eight weeks. Uh, We'll pick it back up in the fall, but we're trying to do it in chunks uh, because it's such a long, long book, and we want to make sure that uh, we have some other stuff we need to talk about, and we'll we'll bounce back and forth. But uh, we'll conclude next week in chapter 7, and then we'll take a break and pick back up in chapter 8 in the fall. But nevertheless, The book of Acts is about what it's like uh, when the the power of God comes upon his people and he empowers, the Holy Spirit empowers his people, the church, for the work of his mission. That's what we've seen over and over and over again. And this pattern has been developing over the last few weeks where we've seen uh, spirit-enabled power and growth coupled with opposition and challenge. And so there's power and growth opposition and challenge, power and growth, opposition and challenge. And this, this pattern sort of repeats itself through, through the book. Um, the enemy, Satan, has tried multiple things so far. He tried persecution against the church from outside. We saw that in a couple of different uh, chapters where, where there was um, pressure from outside to stop proclaiming this gospel. And of course, the people of God valued boldness over comfort, and God continued to bless their efforts. Satan then tried corruption from within the church. We saw that with Ananias and Sapphira, who, who were lying to the Holy Spirit, and God dealt with that, purged the church of that. And because the people valued honesty over appearances, he continued to bless the church. They put Jesus first. Today, we're going to see another test from within the church, another test, uh, uh, perhaps even another attack from the enemy to distract the church and to cause division in the church. Now, before we get into it, I have a question for you. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like you were over your head? Anybody? Yeah, a lot of us. If you haven't yet, you'll get there. I promise. That's what life does to you. Uh, some of you might have been, it might have been college. I know for me, uh, I always made good grades in high school and never had to study. Sorry, teachers, I just didn't. And then when I got into college, I was like, oh no, <laughs> you actually have to learn things and study things and not just rely on what you already know. And so that was a challenge. I was over my head. Um, how many of you know marriage is, is, gets you in over your head real fast? Yeah, yeah. Parenting. And, you know, a lot of you, some of you are new parents. We dedicated a whole bunch of babies here a few weeks ago, and you're new parents, and you're over your head already. Uh, and yet, I want to let you know that you're always over your head as a parent. Amen? 
Every season is new. You've never been there before. Some of you have because you have like 18,000 children. But, but if, for those of us who are, it's our first time with high schoolers, first time with teenagers. And so every challenge, every opportunity is very different and you're always over your head. I remember becoming the lead pastor of this church oh, a while ago, 2010. And um, man, it, I was way over my head. <laughs> Still feel like that sometimes. And the test for me was the first time we had to cancel church because of snow. And like in the past, I'd always been part of that decision, but it wasn't my decision. And all of a sudden I had to go, okay, are people's lives worth risking to get to church just so we can have church? And this was, of course, before live stream and all that. But every one of those challenges, and of course, going through COVID for all of us has been a huge challenge. Every one of those challenges where we feel like we are way over our head is an opportunity for the Holy Spirit of God to show up in our lives and for us to lean into the people of God, his church community, in order for, to get support. And that's what we're going to see this morning in Acts chapter 6. So if you have your Bible open, if you don't, uh, it would be on the screens here uh, behind me. Uh, or if you're watching online, it'll be on your TV screen there or computer screen or whatever. But um, I'm just going to read the first seven verses of Acts chapter 6. I'll pray for us and we will get going here. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now here at Missio, once we read the passage, I say, this is the word of God, and then the people reply, thanks be to God. So this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful to be your people, grateful to be gathered together as a people this morning. And uh, Lord, we are so thankful that week by week by week, uh, COVID numbers continue to drop. Uh, more people are getting vaccinated. More people are feeling comfortable returning to corporate worship. And we, are, we give you great thanks and praise that our family is being reunited. What a joy it is. And yet, Lord, we know we have many challenges ahead of us in the days to come. And so we pray that you would help us, that you would lead us, that you would empower us uh, to be the church that you have called us to be in our community and beyond for your glory. And so now as we look at your word, we pray that you would help us to understand it, not just to understand it, but to apply it, not to be hearers of the word only, but doers. That you would help us see our great need for Jesus and to cling to him above all else. Lord, Holy Spirit, fill me, empower me as I preach this word so that I may rightly divide it and your people may be blessed. And I pray this in the beautiful name of your son, Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen. All right, um, 
so I, I, I've been trying to do this for you guys, uh, especially for note takers, uh, just to sort of summarize my passage with some points, okay? It's not natural to me, but I think it's helpful for you. So uh, if you're a note taker, I want you to see, as we look at this passage now, uh, uh, just verse one, uh, uh, if you're a note taker, you can write this down. Every church faces challenges. Every church faces challenges. Look at verse one again. Now in these days... When the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So Luke, the historian who writes this book, tells us the church is continuing to grow. And over and over again in the book of Acts, he's told us this. He told us specific numbers. The church was about 120, and then it grew by 3,000. Then it grew by another 5,000 men, and it continued to grow, and more people were added to their number, and the church multiplied, and the church continued to grow. The gospel message was advancing. People were hearing about the life of Jesus in their place, perfect, sinless. They were hearing about the death of Jesus on the cross for their sins. They were hearing about Jesus' resurrection from the dead so that they could be welcomed into the family of God, and they were buying it. They were surrendering their lives to the lordship of Jesus, and the gospel continued to advance. And Luke is very specific about this, and he wants us to know that there's actual numbers of people and that the church is growing. Why? Because numbers matter. Numbers matter because every number represents a soul that Jesus cares deeply about. And so some churches get criticized for being all about numbers. And I think there is a, self, um, a selfish way of being about numbers and just looking at attendance and how many people show up. And, and listen, I'm going to tell you, it's not hard to draw a crowd. You can draw a crowd just about over anything, okay? But to actually grow disciples is a whole nother business, but we should care about things like how many people are showing up and what percentage of people are in groups and are people growing and are people involved in the ministry and are people maturing in their faith. We spent a couple days uh, as a staff team this last week just thinking about these kinds of questions as we get into the fall and planning. But numbers matter because every number represents a person with a soul and those souls matter deeply to Jesus. And so Jesus is, is pleased that the church is growing but not everybody's happy. Not everybody's happy. I imagine there were people in the church who were going, man, this church has changed. It's not like it was when we were 120 people, you know? I don't even know half these people now. What's going to happen to my particular ministry? I, you know, and they're just like grumbling and complaining, and yet, where are they going to go? There's only one church in the planet, on the planet at this time, right? It's not like they can just be like, you know what? I like the kids' ministry down at First Baptist. There's no other church, and so as the numbers grow, so does the complexity of this ministry. Systems and structures that might have served them well at 100 don't serve them well at thousands. And so though the church is an organism, and many of you like a, a sort of very organic and free-flowing church, a church also needs organization. It needs structures. It needs systems in order to serve the people well. And growing pains of any church at any size are really challenging. There is seemingly unlimited need, but there is limited time. There are limited leaders and limited resources. Now, what catalyzed the change in this particular church, in this particular instance, was apparently some members of this congregation were being overlooked. So it's, it tells us here, uh, a complaint arose. Now, one thing has not changed in 2,000 years of church history. 
church members complaining, okay? Uh, now, at least this was a legitimate complaint. This church was doing its level best as it grew to meet the needs of the vulnerable populations among it, which is what the Bible calls us to do. There are multitudes of passages in the Old Testament in particular that tell us to care for the vulnerable, the widows, and the orphans in specific. And so this church was trying to do its best. Uh, many of these folks, because they were all Jewish at this point and had come to faith, uh, the Jewish community was no longer going to meet their needs. So they were trying to meet one another's needs. And yet something happened where uh, people were being overlooked. Now, the generosity of God's people is what was empowering this. We, we've seen this already in the book of Acts, right? The people were selling property and giving it so that they could meet the needs of people as they arose. This is a beautiful thing. Widows, in particular, were of the lowest social order. And there, there weren't, you know, programs like Social Security and Medicaid or CARE or whichever it is, the one is for old people. And uh, there weren't... There weren't other ways, and if you didn't have children who could support you, uh, you didn't have much. And so apparently what this church was doing is they were gathering resources, and uh, some commentators say that weekly there was a, uh, an allotment of finances, of money, to these widows to help them with, with expenses. And then daily there was a distribution of things like food and perishable items. It's beautiful to see the church being the church to one another, but... The Hellenists, or the Greek Jews, were being overlooked, okay? Now, remember that when, uh, when Pentecost came, all the Jews from all over the place came back to celebrate Pentecost. Remember seeing that earlier in the book of Acts? Which means that Jews from the diaspora, or this dispersion, uh, back in the Old Testament, when uh, invading nations would come and they would conquer God's people, they would take them away, like, for instance, to Babylon and places like that. And when they rebuilt Jerusalem and, and people came back, some stayed, in those dispersed places. So those Jews set up their own little synagogues and they worshiped in their own kind of ways. They didn't always make it back to, uh, to Jerusalem. And so there, was, there were Hebrew Jews who were, who were in, from in and around Jerusalem. And then there were other Jews who were dispersed around the area. When the gospel came at Pentecost, and when, when Peter was empowered to proclaim the gospel, people from all these other languages, right? heard the gospel, they became Christians, they surrendered their lives to Jesus, and they stayed in Jerusalem. They did not go back home because there was nothing for them there. There was no other church to go to, so they stayed in Jerusalem, which created all these different kinds of needs. Now, you can imagine there were all kinds of cultural barriers. You've got uh, primarily Aramaic and Hebrew-speaking Jews who were very uh, conservative and sort of uptight and had all their systems and structures down. And then you had all these people, the Greek-speaking Jews who spoke Greek primarily, who did not necessarily practice their faith the same way. And so some people say it was an intentional uh, overlooking of these Greek-speaking Jews because they were looked down upon by the Hebrews. The text doesn't tell us that. That's what some people infer. Uh, it could have also just been an honest mistake because there are things like cultural barriers and language barriers. And, you know, you, you imagine in a, in a situation like that, you might be, you know so-and-so, and so-and-so and, and -so has a, a widow in their family. Well, let's make sure they get cared for. But these people over here who have needs can't communicate those needs to you, and so you don't know about it, and you don't meet those needs. Whatever the case, these people were being overlooked. These people were not getting this, the, the, the help that they needed. And Luke is honest about the growing pains of this fledgling church. 
Now, let me ask you a question. Did this church still have the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Was there a failure in this church? Yeah. Were people hurt by that failure? Yeah. It had nothing to do with the fact that the Spirit had left them. They were still empowered by the Spirit. But things happen, right? There's still brokenness in our world, and, and people fall through the cracks and, and, and get hurt. Um, what's my point in all this? A little, little reality check for us as a church. We will disappoint you. Okay? I will disappoint you. Our leadership will disappoint you. It just happens, right? It's not intentional, uh, but we're going to drop the ball on stuff. And sadly, most of us who are part of this church are not perfect. So uh, there are a few who say that you are, and I trust you in that. But, um, <laughs> you know, this, this whole COVID situation was a nightmare for all of us, okay? Um, and you, you probably don't realize this, but uh, there's, a, it, there's a thing called a no-win situation or a zero-sum game. And for our leadership, for our elders and staff, and for those who were making big decisions for the sake of the church, there was not a single decision that we made that didn't make somebody mad. And so we had to step back and go, okay, who are we okay with being mad at us this week? <laughs> okay? Uh, and, and that's just the reality, because we're, we, were, we were in a no-win situation. There, was, there were no easy solutions. No one had been through this kind of thing before. And I'm not trying to justify the decisions we made. I'm just trying to let you see that it's hard. It's hard, even in a church our size, which is not huge. I mean, pre-COVID, we were maybe four or 500 people. Um, and we're slowly kind of coming back to those uh, numbers over time. But uh, it's hard. Everything gets more complex, communication and decision-making and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it, it's been hard to keep up with everyone. You know, some of you have been here 10 years and never filled out a connect card. We don't even have your ding-dang phone number, you know? So how are we supposed to care for you? And then people go, well, you didn't reach out to me during COVID. Or I don't even know your name, you know? Like, how are we supposed to do that? So there's that kind of stuff. And we've tried as hard as we could as, as, as leaders to, to at least text or email people and go, hey, we, we, where are you at? We love you. Are, you. are you around? What can we help you with? And, um, and that kind of thing. But it's been really, really difficult. I do want you to know this. If you belong to this church family, your voice matters. You're, if you call Missio home, particularly if you're a covenant member, but even if you aren't and you call Missio home, your voice matters. Your input is crucial. Because oftentimes you see stuff that we don't. And I welcome that kind of stuff. I welcome. And, and even, even beyond COVID, like we just make mistakes and we drop the ball and, and we hurt people unintentionally and, and it just kind of happens. But when, not if, but when you are disappointed by me or anyone else in this church, you have a choice to make. Disappointment comes from your expectations not getting met. So there's an expectation gap, right? Here's what I expected. Here's what happened. And you have a choice to fill in that gap with trust or with suspicion. I can't help you with that other than try to be someone who earns your trust and keeps your trust. But you have a choice. When those expectations don't get met, when you are disappointed, you'd fill in that expectation gap with trust or suspicion. You also have a choice as to what you do with your disappointment. Do you voice that concern to the leaders? Do you voice that concern to, to the appropriate people? Or do you, like what happened here, complain? Complain to other people, other members of the church. 
I know a lot of you don't like conflict, and so when you have a problem, instead of coming to the appropriate person, you just whine about it to the, to the person beside you. And I want to tell you something. God hates that. Amen. Proverbs 6, there's six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, and the very last one is stirring up contention among the brethren. And your complaining and your whining stirs up contention in the church. Thank you. So listen, every church faces challenges. We are no different. There are all kinds of challenges before us, but we're a family. We talk it out, we work through it, and we make headway. Amen? Okay, so not only does every church face challenges, but every member fills a vital role. Every member fills a vital role. Look at verse two. (laughs) We're only on verse two. This is awesome. Okay. Whew. And the 12, that's the apostles, the leaders of the early church, summoned the full number of the disciples. First time, by the way, in the book of Acts, they're called disciples. Okay, Jesus calls his people disciples, but this is the first time among many in the book of Acts that the church is called disciples of Jesus. There are thousands of disciples by this time. So the, the leaders summoned the full number of the disciples, the entire church, and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So there is a real challenge for this church. It's growing. People are getting left behind. How do we deal with it? And people apparently are coming to the apostles and going, hey, what are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about this? People are getting hurt. People are getting left behind. The widows are not getting the food and the the money that they need. What are you going to do? And here's what the apostles do. They call the whole church together and they say, hey, look, we're not going to stop preaching. So y'all figure this out. Which sounds like kind of a jerkish thing to say, right? Like, hey, we got more important stuff to do. I don't know if you noticed, but apostles spell with a capital A, okay? And in the Greek language, it says, ain't nobody got time for us to do all this stuff ourselves. This is not arrogance. This is not them being above it. They're not saying, I'm not going to serve tables. That's below me. That's beneath me. I'm an apostle. That's not what they're saying. That would undermine the entire ministry of Jesus, right? That would contradict what Jesus called these men, except for uh, Matthias. He called all of them to himself. He trained them personally himself, right? commissioned them as his apostles. It would contradict the heart of Jesus' entire ministry. uh, Philippians 2 tells us that that Jesus, though he was equal with God, right, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. He humbled himself and took on the form of a servant and was obedient to the Father, even to the point of death on a cross for us, for our sin. They're also not saying that it's not right to meet the need. That's not what they said. So what are they saying? They're saying, guys, we can't do this. We apostles can't do it. Now think about this. These are, these are OG elders. These are the original group chosen specifically by Jesus, trained by Jesus. This is the best elder team that's ever served the church in the history of the universe. And yet, they're acknowledging they have human limitations. They're saying to this church, you, you cannot, this church cannot depend on just the 12 of us. 
no church should depend only on its leaders. Okay? The, the sad reality is in the United States, most churches are under 100 people. And the reason for that is because the people expect a pastor to do everything. And oftentimes the pastor expects to do everything. And turns out you can only minister effectively to about 80 people, which is why churches don't grow. We're not that kind of church. 1 Corinthians 12 reminds us, Paul says that not only did Jesus live the life that, that we should have lived but didn't, right? Perfect, sinless, tempted in every way that we are but, but without sin. Jesus died in our place, taking upon himself our sin and our guilt and our shame and our selfishness. Jesus rose from the grave, triumphing over our real enemies of sin, death, and hell, and giving us the right to be called the children of God if we surrender to him welcomed into his family. Not only did he do that for us, but he sent us his spirit. And God's Holy Spirit fills us and empowers us as his people, and he gives us gifts. The Holy Spirit of God gives each believer in Christ at least one what we call spiritual gift, which is not the same as a natural ability. It's something imparted to you by God when you become a Christian, and it's, it's an empowerment given to you to serve God by serving his people. The church is a body, we're reminded in 1 Corinthians 12, and each member of the body has gifts and passion to lend to the building up of the, of the church. So oftentimes I've had people come to me and they'd say, um, the church ought to be doing X, or the church should be doing this. And I listen to their ministry idea and I smile and I say this, and who is the church? And I say, I say maybe, maybe, just maybe, God has made you so passionate about this particular thing that we're not doing because he's gifted you to become the person who solves that problem. And they always go, you're right, I'm going to start this ministry. No, they don't. You know what they do? They go, they go oh, I can't do that. I don't have time to do that. We are a body each one of us who is a member of the body is uniquely gifted to contribute to the health of the body. Now, the, the apostles are sympathetic to this need, but they are crystal clear about their specific role. Jesus, in Mark chapter 6, commissioned the apostles. He called the apostles to do two things, preach and heal. Preach and heal. And, and the apostles were relentless about that mission, that calling, that role that they play in the kingdom of God. We, and it's, again, it's not pride. It's not arrogance. They're trying to be obedient to Jesus. So they're saying, hey, look, Jesus would not be pleased if we stopped doing what he told us to do, which is preach and heal, and took care of this other need, which is an important need, but it's not the one we are called to meet personally. Jesus would not be glorified by that. He's, he's given this church, at this point, thousands of other people who can help meet this need and might be called to meet this need. So we need to do what we're called to do, which is be devoted to the ministry of prayer and the word. And let's empower others in the church to actually be the church to one another and do what Jesus has called you to do uh, so that we can do what Jesus has called us to do. And so they call this big old business meeting. And they say, look, pick out from among you seven 
Now, again, thousands of people, and they're like, we just need seven, so figure that out. <laughs> I don't know how it happened. I don't know if somebody was like, I'll do it, or someone was like, hey, Bob over there, let's get him. I don't know how it happened, okay? But they said, pick out seven people, and I want you to notice something. They did not look for skill first. What did they look for? Character. Men of good repute, a good reputation, men of character. They did not go, hey, okay, we have this big logistical problem because the widows are being overlooked. Phil is a logistics expert. He does uh, Lean Six Sigma. He'd be great at this. They said, who has good character? Men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit, and wise. Notice... And, and what's their role? They're going to organize this ministry so that they can, the Bible says, serve tables. So they're, they're literally giving away food or other goods um, and distributing them to, to the poor widows. The highest qualification for any ministry, whether it's serving tables or actually, when, when they say uh, we need to be devoted to preaching the word, the word there is actually serve, serve the word. So they're saying we can't serve tables because we have to serve the word. The highest qualification, whether you are serving tables or serving the word, is character. Do they have good character? Do they have a good reputation in the community? Secondly, are they full of the Holy Spirit? Do they walk with Jesus? Do they love Jesus? Right? Is there evidence of the fruit of God's spirit in their lives as they are, uh, as they are walking with Jesus? And then, then, thirdly, are they wise? Do they have the wisdom to handle this specific scenario? Do they have skill? Do they have experience? Do they have the ability uh, to handle this issue? The same qualifications for everything in the church from serving tables to serving the word. Now again, I'll say, God calls every single believer into ministry but he gives us different gifts and calls us to different roles and different ministries. Uh, in 1 Peter 4, you can read this on your own time. In 1 Peter 4, uh, uh, Peter makes a distinction, bro two broad categories of gifts. He says there are speaking gifts and there are serving gifts. So speaking gifts would be things like teaching, counseling, encouraging, um, th those kinds of things, right? Preaching, uh, serving gifts, administrating, organizing, hosting, caring for, giving, right? Financial generosity is actually a gift uh, that, that some of you need to lean into a little bit more. <clears throat> um, just kidding. So, so there are speaking gifts and there are serving gifts. And my question to you is, how has God gifted you? How has God gifted you? And are you employing those gifts for the glory of God and the good of others? You may not know this, but there are all kinds of needs around here right now. As we're coming out of things and trying to get back to whatever normal means in this season, there are a lot of needs, um, particularly with, with Sunday ministries. And, and so I'm just going to go through a couple of these because you need to know, okay? Um, John mentioned earlier that kids' ministry has relaunched, and we're so grateful that it has, right, that we're able to minister to children. Now, pre-COVID, we had about 130 kids every single Sunday that were up in that kids' wing, babies being prayed over, toddlers knocking down blocks to the glory of God, and, and, uh, and, and small children up to fifth grade being taught the gospel at their level. 
so that they have an opportunity from a young age to know Jesus, to hear the gospel, to, f- to believe in him, to follow him, and to grow as his disciples, that we don't wait for maturing and multiplying until you know, kids become adults. We start as early as we can. Okay, not only that, but we're, we're, we're enabling kids to be fed the word of God at their level and free parents to be uh, worshiping in here without distraction so that they can hear and, and, and grow as disciples as well. This is a vital kingdom ministry. And yet, so many of us want to dump our kids off up there, but have no desire whatsoever to bless other families up there. And so I'm not trying to indict you, but I'm kind of trying to indict you, okay? No, I will say, Jenny has said this. We want people who are called to minister to children. I don't just want you to do it because you're trying to like, you know, plug a hole in the dike kind of thing, okay? Like you need to love kids and know Jesus and love the gospel and want those kids to know the gospel. But there's a place for you. There's an opportunity for you there, okay? Uh, As we plan for the fall, uh, you know, we are not just kind of restructuring, but completely rebuilding what community groups could look like. And these are vital places for people to, to come together uh, who may not have other things in common, uh, but, but they have Jesus in common, or they're maybe knocking on the door of, of faith, and it's a safe place for them to, to know people and be known by people, to build relationship, to actually feel like they belong to the family of God here to be honest about their struggles and their, and their sins and to be prayed for and encouraged and all those one another's that we talk about in the New Testament. Ideally, and I'm, yes, ideally, because I know your experience in community group is like, all these people are selfish and dumb and I don't like them. And that might be true, you know, um, because we're maturing, right? We're not starting with mature people <laughs> most of the time. Um, so that takes people with gifts of, of, of hospitality, to welcome people into your home and to host them. It takes people with the gifts of being able to facilitate conversation. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to lead a community group. You just have to be faithful and available and willing. So what would it look like for you to open your home up if you have the gift of hospitality? What would it look like for you to be able to be willing to facilitate conversation? Um, we, we talked earlier about student ministry, and uh, we, got a, we had a bunch of middle school kids um, and a bunch more coming. You don't have a lot of high schoolers, just the makeup of our church right now. Uh, but we want desperately to, to see those kids know and love Jesus, to prepare them for adulthood. And we need each other. Even things that seem as insignificant as our welcome team, the people who make coffee and greet you at the door. Do you realize there's a kingdom principle behind that? We're not just being nice. Right? We're not just serving decent coffee uh, you know, because I hate bad coffee. It's because we want to create an environment where from the moment you step out of your car, you feel like you belong here. That this family is expecting company every week. And we want to go out of our way to, to roll out the red carpet so that people who are coming in, who, by the way, are hurting and broken and lonely and lost can, can feel like they belong in that first couple minutes so that they can have a seat and hear about Jesus. Our poor tech team, guys, you know? Uh, when you leave, 
high five one of those guys or give them a hug if they feel comfortable because no one ever hugs the sound guy or the slides guy. The only time you ever look at them is when something goes wrong up here and everyone looks at the back, <laughs> right? And they're like, what happened? You know, it's like, come on. And some of these folks, listen, on, on all of our teams, kids, uh, security, welcome, tech, bands, during COVID, so many of you were like, hey, I can't be here and I, I get it. I'm, I, we get it, Okay. But other people stepped up and were serving sometimes weekly, 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 sometimes like more regularly than they would like to. And they're carrying a lot of load for the sake of you all because they love you. So what, what role can you fill? How has God gifted you? I want you to know this very clearly. And if this is the last day you're here, God bless you. But to be part of this church means this is the family I serve, not this is the place I come here, Brian preach. Now, if you're brand new and you're just, you know, checking this thing out, please continue to do that. I'm not putting pressure on you. But there's some folks that have been around here for years and years and years. And you don't contribute anything other than filling a seat. And I love you, but stop. Stop. Get in the game. All right, last thing. Feeling good? Because I am. Uh, good thing I got vacation coming. Uh, Acts chapter. <laughs> Email notifications off. <sighs> Joke's on you because I turn them off when I'm here. So <clears throat> Acts chapter 6, look at verse 5. This is my last point. Every ministry fuels the mission. Every ministry fuels the mission. Now, there's a little-known miracle here that gets overlooked in every commentary, and it's this, chapter, verse 5. What they said pleased the whole gathering. <laughs> that is a miracle if I've ever seen one. What they said pleased the whole... The whole church was happy about this decision. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Philip, I'm not going to go with all the names. You can read them yourself. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And then watch what happens. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. What's going on here? This church is actually okay with change. Uh, they say, look, the apostles, we, got, we have a calling and a ministry, and we have to de dedicate ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. We have to advance the gospel. There are others of you who are gifted to take care of this specific need, so let's, you figure out who they are, and you guys are empowered as the church to be the church and to go do that. No one is looking around going, where's Peter? I thought he was supposed to serve us. I guess he's too big for us now. Got some, you know, book deal. Uh, it's like right in the Bible or something, you know? Like, no one's doing that because they understand the different roles and responsibilities that people in the church have. They select these seven. There's no magic to that number. Uh, it's just what they thought they needed for this specific ministry. And notice this, that you, you can't really see this in English. All seven whom they chose have Greek names. So what was the issue? The Greek widows, the Greek-speaking widows, were being left behind. So the church among themselves goes, hey, you know what would be a good idea if we had some Greek-speaking 
leaders to help facilitate this ministry. And so they pick these guys. Stephen, who we'll hear about next week in chapter 7, doesn't go so well for him. Uh, Philip, who we hear about in the next chapter, chapter 8. The rest of these guys, we never hear about again. But I want to tell you, their role was crucial. Their role was vital because if they had not stepped into this particular ministry, it could have taken the wind out of the sail of the entire mission, of the entire church. They could have gotten distracted. More division could have come. Uh, and, and before you knew it, the church would have been over. So you don't have to be remembered to play a vital role. So they're commissioned, not a title or office. Some people say this is the, the beginning of deacons in the church because the word deacon is the word servant uh, in the Greek. That might be the case, but it doesn't say. Later on in, in 1 Timothy 3, we get the office of deacon, which is a servant role. But right now they are commissioned and, and empowered for responsibility. And here's what they're to do, these deacons or these servants. To help and to harmonize. And so what happens the widows apparently are cared for because we never hear again of a complaint arising about widows not being cared for. So these seven, apparently, who are, loved Jesus and, and had wisdom and, and, and good character, they took care of the issue. And the apostles are freed up to pray and to study and to preach and teach and disciple. And the word continued to increase. In fact, the church exploded in growth. It multiplied greatly, it says, in Jerusalem. So much so that even the priests started to believe. Now, this is a big deal for, for a couple reasons. The priests were largely Sadducees, who we've talked about a few times in Acts, and the Sadducees were sort of the left-leaning uh, of the religious groups who didn't believe in miracles and all that kind of stuff, but they were some of the most uh, vehement opponents of this Christian faith, right? The high priest was a Sadducee, and they wanted Jesus and this movement called Christianity over with, Okay. Now, the priests, in the Old Testament, I told you earlier uh, that there's all kinds of passages about caring for the vulnerable populations, the widows and the orphans and the like. That responsibility had fallen primarily to the priests at this time. So though it was a command for the people, everyone was like, ah, oh, the priests will do it. And so the priests were the ones who cared for the widows and the orphans primarily. Now, here are these priests watching the church, this Christian church, actually do what God says the church ought to do actually do what, what, what God said his people ought to do. And, and it started to dawn on them, this Jesus thing might be right on. Because our people have never done this kind of stuff. But these Christians are living differently. They're living as though they care about God and they care about all of God's people. They started to realize that this gospel was true, that Jesus really did live this perfect sinless life, that Jesus really did die for their sin, that Jesus really did rise from the grave, and that he conquered Satan and death, and that he was empowering by his spirit these people to live differently, to be God's people in the world. And it had such an impact on them that they began surrendering their lives to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, no one is beyond salvation through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even his most vehement opponent at this day might become a Christian. Now, I want you to know something as we kind of wrap up. The gospel needs to advance. That's why Christians exist. That was what Jesus told his original followers to do. Go into all the world and make disciples. The gospel needs to advance. That's why we exist. That's why this church exists. That's why our mission is maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. And we've been at this 
almost 14 years now, and we have seen God do some amazing things. We've also seen many challenges. But for the last, I don't know, six months or a year, there's been one verse that has just resonated in my soul, and I can't shake it. And, and we'll get to it at some point later in the book of Acts, but it's Acts 13.49. And in Acts 13.49, in the ESV, it says that uh, the word of the Lord continued to spread throughout the entire region. In the message, which is a paraphrase of the Bible, it, it puts it like this. Um, it says something like, God's word spread like wildfire throughout the whole region. And I just can't shake that picture that if the Lord would let us, if the Lord would let us, that we'd get to see a passion for Jesus' gospel spread throughout the entire Western North Carolina region of the 828 like wildfire in a generation. Wouldn't that be awesome? There, look, there are people who come to this church from sometimes up to an hour away. And why do they do that? Not just because they like me or we have weird, cool music. They do it because there's not a faithful gospel preaching church in their community. That's a travesty. And so what does it look like for for a passion for Jesus and his gospel to spread like wildfire through our region so that every little holler and nook and cranny in all of Western North Carolina has a gospel presence? Because there are people who are hurting and broken and lost and dying and going to spend eternity separated from God unless the church goes to them. But if we're going to do that, if we're going to have any hope at answering that call and, and, and pursuing that vision, it's going to take everything we've got and everyone we've got. Laying it all on the table. All of our, the time we have available, the, the talents we have available, the treasure that we have available, giving and serving, not just one another, but serving one another so that the church grows and multiplies so that churches can be planted, disciples can be made in, in other counties, in other communities, that we might be a hub for this kind of maturing and multiplying throughout the entire region of Western North Carolina. This is all hands-on-deck time. Because as we come out of COVID, there are so many people who are completely broken and, 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 and are ready to receive the message of the gospel. And let me tell you something, there is nothing on earth more worthy of giving our lives to. So will you join us? Will you join us? We will face challenges, we'll fail, and we'll learn from them, and we'll get better, and by God's grace we'll grow, and we'll face new challenges, and we'll fail all over again, <laughs> and we'll learn from those, and we'll grow some more, and we'll fail again, and that's just the pattern until glory. But what it, it takes every member devoting themselves using the gifts God has given them to advance the mission. So instead of questions, here's what I want you to do. Shut up, Siri. Um, <laughs> there's a connect card in the, back, in the seat back there. If you're on the front row, it's, you can grab one from behind you. I want you to do this, and I, I want everybody to do this, if you will, okay? I want you to hold that card in your hand. And if you are not currently, if you call Missio your home, and you're not currently serving, contributing, involved in some way, I want you to think about what are the gifts I have 
and where might I be able to use them? As I mentioned, some of our primary needs, kids' ministry, okay, uh, student ministry, community groups, hosting, leading, welcome team, tech. There's all kinds of areas, okay, and I don't mean to shortchange other ministries, but those are the, the biggest needs. If there's an area of giftedness that you have and you're willing to lend that giftedness to the congregation, I want you to put it on that card with your name and email so we can follow up with you. If there's an area that you need prayer for, right? The, the apostles devoted themselves to prayer, the ministry of the word. We want to devote ourselves to prayer for you, our church family. And so if there's a way that we can pray for you, the other side of that card is for prayer requests. Please write out your prayers so that we can take those before the Lord on your behalf. If you're new with us, you're just kind of kicking the tires on the church here, we'd love to know who you are. So you can fill that card out and just tell us your name and, and, um, and, and we would love to pray for you and, and, and follow up with you. But those black boxes in the back are where those will go. And I want, you just can hold on to that until the end of the gathering. Don't put them back in the seat back pocket because they'll get lost. Hold on to it and then put it in that black box in the back. But listen, we're never going to move forward unless everybody's all in. All right? So let me pray. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And, uh, and then we'll sing and respond to the Lord. Um, there are communion cups in your chairs, but I think we're going we're gonna to not do communion today just because we're running short on time. Uh, so if you want to take it on your own, you can do that, but I'm not going to administer it, so we'll just leave that for next week. Um, let me pray. Father, I thank you for these beautiful people. I thank you uh, for this family that you've created. This is your work, not ours. And we are grateful uh, to, to have seen you work so powerfully over 14 years. But Lord, we, we're not done. You still have more for us and for this region. Jesus, we, we, we long to see a passion for Jesus as gospel spread like wildfire throughout the 828 so that more and more people can come to know and trust you and love you and have their sins forgiven and be freed from compulsions and addictions and, and darkness and walk in the light. So help us to be obedient to your call. Help us to be empowered by your spirit uh, to fulfill this call that you've put on us. And help each one of us step into the area of gifting. Maybe we don't know what our gifts are. We can step in and do something. Let each one of us uh, use what gifts you have given us to serve our brothers and sisters, to serve our city, to serve our region uh, so that your mission continues. We love you. And Lord, as we respond to you now, uh, in prayer, in worship, through song, uh, in, in response of, on filling out this connect card, um, would you be pleased as we do so? We love you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.